0: Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We'll read 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." Now, this is very similar to what we saw in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 taking place. And it's kind of confirming this was something that was continuing to go on. Remember, this wasn't like, okay, this is the new society and this is how we're going to live. This isn't the birth of communism by any stretch of the means. Okay, this is starting from compassion. They're giving because they have and they want to give. Communism says you have and we want to take, okay? There's a big difference in how that works out. But what this is, is from Pentecost. Remember, it was a huge festival. Jews from all over came to this region. And then they had the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fell upon them. Peter gave that incredible message. 3,000 were added to the church that day, and then 2,000 after that. So you've got 5,000 plus new believers that are just sticking around because of what's going on. They only brought food enough and you know, supplies enough to last a short period of time, but they're staying for much longer. And so as they had need, they were taking care of those people and those needs. That's what's taking place. It happened so much so that later on the church in Jerusalem was in need because Paul asked for people to make a collection and give towards the church later on because they were spent. They kind of gave and gave and gave. and It's like, hey, got nothing else to give. Um, We need some help here. And so then the church compensated and helped them. But what a great thing this is because this is setting a foundation that the church is going to be built on. And because of their generosity and their giving, they were able to not only meet the needs of the people, but able to pour into them this doctrine, this teaching of who Jesus is. And I love that it says in verse 33 that great power continued to testify to the resurrection. Great power came after this attitude of generosity, Faith and love go hand in hand and so does power and purity. They kind of all work together. God never demonstrates power without it being connected to love and to holiness. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if someone had power but didn't have love? Well, yeah, it is and... Maybe you've worked for someone like that. There's opportunities when people have power to take advantage of those things, but that's not the case. As they're being generous, then God's power is able to be there. And as as there is this heart of giving, we see the power of God present there. And, And notice that they continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace came upon them the resurrection is central to these beginning chapters. They aren't preaching the cross of Christ because everyone around this time knew about the cross of Christ. Jesus was just crucified. But you see, the Messiah in their minds was not supposed to die. And so what was being preached was not the death as much as the resurrection at this time. We know in Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I, I sought to tell you nothing or to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. But that's not the case here. Here they're talking about the resurrection because they're trying to make the point that the Christ had to suffer, had to die, but he's alive. He's alive. And so the resurrection is paramount in these first chapters because they are bringing home this was the Messiah And he rose from the dead. And we talked about last week how the Sadducees were so upset about that because they didn't believe in the resurrection. How the Pharisees were predominant through the Gospels in opposition to Christ. But the Sadducees now are predominant through these first chapters because they don't believe in the resurrection. And here the resurrection is the focal point. And so they, they're continuing to testify about the resurrection of Jesus and much grace, or it might say great grace was upon them, and, and that has to do with the source of grace. It is from God this grace came, because grace is unmerited favor. So grace is great no matter what it is. It's a good thing, but when it's God's giving of grace, ah, then it's much, it's great. And so it's poured out them. And so we get this little snapshot as they're giving and supplying for each other. And they're trusting the the apostles. And they're bringing these things at their feet. And then we get uh, an account of one of the men who did something. Verse 36, it said, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we get this account of this man, Joseph. He's a Levite. When Levites aren't supposed to actually own land, I know there's a few, I think Jeremiah also owned land, but they're not supposed to own land. They're supposed to be part of the priestly tribe that didn't have that opportunity. But here, what the law could not do, we see that love was able to do. You know, he said, well, I've got land. I know the law says I'm not supposed to have it, but that never seemed to motivate him. But now love sure does. And what's going on, it changes his heart. And yeah, here's here's what I have. And it's mentioned. And, you know, this is a great thing. What he did was very generous and very commendable. And as you see someone like that, you guys have been there where you've seen the, the work of someone, the generosity of someone, and it's touched your life in such a way. And you go, oh, man, that is so neat. What that person did was so, ah, what a beautiful act of of love that that person gave. And as they give that love, it just touches your heart. Well, no doubt, this is one of those things. He sold the land. He said, here, you guys, take it and give to these people. Imagine thousands and thousands of people, at least 5,000 plus, are needing more than usual. And I don't know how much it was, but he gave all this land's money and he brought it there and he said, here, use this. And it's like, oh, this is going to meet such a need. Oh, this is tremendous. And everyone's just thanking God and, oh man, Barnabas, you know, what a a great thing this is, this guy, Joseph. And so right after that takes place, we read in chapter 5, verse 1, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, that sounds fine. Nothing wrong with it. It's very similar to what Joseph just did. But something else is taking place. Verse 3, it says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept... For yourself, some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and their job wasn't done and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I bet. Okay. (coughs) Ananias and Sapphira. We see them doing something similar but very much different. To what Joseph did. And we see from the discourse that takes place here with Peter and especially with his wife, Sapphira, whose name means beautiful and in Ananias' whose name means gracious. We see that what was happening here was deceit. They were saying they did the same thing that Joseph did, but they didn't. They said, Oh, we sold our land too. And here's all the money. But it wasn't all the money. It was some of the money. And it's not mentioned how much, because that's not the point. The point is they wanted the acclimates that Joseph got, that Barnabas got. They wanted people to think and talk about them the same way that they spoke of him. Pride, by its nature, is competitive. If you see someone and you compare yourself to them or want something comparable to them, know that it has to do with pride. Oh, I want people to talk to me like they talk about this guy Barnabas. If you find yourself thinking of that and comparing yourself to someone else, know that pride's involved. And know that you're on dangerous ground. You're you're coveting something that someone else has. You're desiring that that they have. And usually pride is at the center of it because I want that recognition. I want that. And what happened here is that the sin, the, the problem isn't that they kept some of the money. The problem is that they were deceitful and wanting an appearance that wasn't true, wasn't genuine. And As we've just gone through the Gospel of Luke, we know that Jesus was so set against that kind of attitude. The Pharisees, who do things to be seen, to get all the acclamation of men, don't be like them, beware of that leaven. And here they are, taking that up. What they did was a good thing. But the deception... Ooh, that that's where God's making a point, and you might think this is kind of severe. I mean, if God still did this, you know, what would happen? Well, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> I mean, and one of the songs that we just sang, you know, you're you're all I want, Jesus, you're all I want. What if we sang that? You're all I want. You know, we start dropping, you know. I give my all, you know. Because... They what, goes, "What what's going on here?" There's something that they they call the the first presentation or, or the first precept, I think it was, where God makes points at the very beginning, the first presentation of something. It happens throughout Scripture. When the children of Israel got out of Egypt and they were going to go to the promised land and they sent out scouts and they came back with the bad report. Except for Joshua and Caleb. Their faithlessness, God said, 40 years you're going to wander in the wilderness because you didn't believe. I just brought you out of Egypt. I just parted the sea. You didn't believe your faithlessness is going to cost you 40 years. God's making a point. Real loud one. Boom, four years. You don't have faith in me. It's going to cost you. They get into the promised land. Jericho, mighty city. You know the story. They march around the city. The walls fall down. They, they take it. And one of the instructions that God left to them was: don't take anything. Don't take the spoiled. No gold, no silver, no clothing. It's an offering to me. You leave it. All. There's just no spoils. Well, one of the guys, Aiken, saw some of the stuff and he says, why not? No, one, you know, what are we going to leave it for? Those are some nice threads, you know, Armani Babylonian suit, you know, whatever. It's like, why should I let that go to waste? And so he took it and buried it underneath his tent. Children of Israel went to, to battle another city, a small city, Ai, just a tiny little thing. and They got whooped they go back, God, what's going on? He says, there's sin. Points out to Joshua, it's Achan. Calls him out, digs a pit, puts him and his family in there, stoned to death. Kills him. Wow. Making a point. Strong one. I don't like this. This is in violation of what I am trying to accomplish and what I want for my people. Making a point. The church is born. Great things are happening. Power, grace, people are coming to faith. Someone wants recognition. Wants the acclaim of others. Wants to be thought of as spiritual. Bam! Wiped out. God's making a point. It's not that he's making that point over and over and over again. He wanted us to know at the expense of Ananias and Sapphira, I do not like hypocrisy. Now, I'm glad he made that point through them and isn't still making it today on a regular basis, but it should be loud and clear. And it's supposed to be. And it should cause us to think about these kinds of things about how we present ourselves and how we want people to think of us and how we, you know, try to hedge ourselves up when we're telling a story. Yeah, well, you know, I was praying this morning at 4, you know, and you give a little too much information to try and make yourself look good and, you know, really it was 4.59, you know, but you, you said... And it was because you had to get up and go to the restroom, you know, and then you prayed before you went back to sleep or whatever. You just, you taint things to make yourself look a certain way. And the whole point is, I want people to think this way of me. Well, God wants you to be genuine. And God loves you genuinely. You see, God didn't care about the money. He cared about their attitudes, their hearts. God... Hung out with the the sinners, the tax collectors, the people who were down to earth, and he wanted to stay away from the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees, those who were presenting an air of holiness but denied the truth thereof. Let's make sure that we don't want that. I want people to think of me as holy. Well, I want people to think of God as merciful. And then I have to be seen in who I really am. And it's not a matter of presenting a presence of holiness. It's about being genuine before God. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's all a part of who we are. And so God's making a point through Ananias and Sapphira. And yeah, he made it loud and clear Fear seized everybody, says in verse 5, who heard what happened. And we see later on, verse ten in verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it. Yeah, I bet. How would you like to join that church? You know, it would make you think twice. It's going to make you really think, wow, what, what's <laughs> going on there? Wow. But it, what it did is it made a point loud and clear. And it's interesting that Sapphira didn't hear about it. Three hours later, she comes and she's oblivious to everything else. Because I'm sure the n- news spread. You know, but sin keeps you in the dark. It kind of keeps you blind. And it definitely blinded her. And God passed a judgment that we're to learn from. And so we need to make sure that we do. He made that point really clear. Verse 12, he goes on. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were very highly regarded by the people. Now, why do you think they don't dare to join them? Well, two people just died, you know. They just were a little lie, and they died. I think I'll wait before I join that church. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to the one down the street. I hear they're still alive down there. Verse 14, nevertheless, this is great. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now, now there's a separation that's here because some people just want to jump on the bandwagon. Oh, this sounds like cool. Hey, I hear they're, you know, helping out people. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Oh, look at all these people. They're excited. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Then you find out, well, a couple of people died because they weren't right. Oh, I don't know if I really want to be a part of that. But some people say, yeah, I still want to be a part of it. Kind of The serious ones still came. It didn't stop people from coming to faith, but it kind of those ones who weren't so committed didn't follow along. They're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to go there, but still it grew. It didn't stop what God was doing. It just made it a little bit more serious. Sometimes people present Christianity as if you come to Christ, all your problems will solve. You know, you have seed faith that will grow into this and you'll have money and you'll have finances and you'll have riches and you'll have these things. And it's like, yeah, sure. Who doesn't want to come to that? But then you find out the truth. Well, if you come after me, let him take up his cross. What? What's this cross thing about? Oh, yeah. Those who live godly will suffer persecution. Oh, well, that's okay then. You know, you guys go ahead. But some say, no, I I, I want this. I understand it. I see it a little bit more clearly. All that's involved, the seriousness of it, and I still see that I have need of this. And so that's taking place here. Some are, are serious. Some aren't so serious. The ones who really want and really care and really see, they come. The ones who just are in there, yeah, well, this kind of separated them. A couple of deaths will do that to you. Verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that the least, at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were healed. Now, a—it's this is an interesting passage because you, you just, wow, the shadow healed him. What's with that? I remember when my boys were small. They were probably about two years old, and we were walking one day. They were younger than two. They were just barely able to walk. And I think it was Jordan saw his shadow and freaked out. He couldn't climb up me fast enough. I mean, he started on my leg, and he's like, ah! And we find like, what's going on with him? We thought this guy, it was walking and all of a sudden he saw this thing following him and it freaked him out. And he just started climbing up me, couldn't get up me fast enough. You know, it was just his shadow, but there was something about it, this presence that freaked him out, that scared him. Well, the shadow wasn't what healed them. It was a contact point with something that they could identify with. It was a point of faith in what was going on, you know. We have a problem so many times because we have the spiritual world that we don't see, that we don't touch, and we don't realize how connected to it that we are. And so sometimes there's that point of of contact, that touch, or even the shadow that makes a difference. James says, anoint them with oil. It's a contact point. It's a way for us to recognize, you know, there is something real about the spiritual even a shadow and so it's not the shadow that healed them but it's a contact point of faith faith in God and that's helpful sometimes sometimes a song is a contact point you're you're in a depressed state you're fil- you feel like your world is crumbling around you and you're driving and a song comes on the radio and it, it sings out something you know even like one of the songs here is they're singing you know And I hear the voice of many angels sing worthy as a lamb. And all of a sudden it's like I'm translated into the presence of God. And my problems, gee, they don't matter at all right now. What happened? I just had a contact to the reality of the spirit. And I see things clearly. And so that song, that shadow, that oil can be a contact point to the reality of the spirit. At work. And that's what's taking place. Jesus is alive. God is doing wondrous things. And even the shadow is a place where they can make contact with and be healed. It wasn't the shadow itself that healed. It was the contact with faith in God that made the difference. And, and so we see that they're bringing the sick there, the torment. And you've got to imagine this situation. Picture Picture it as much as you can. What is taking place here? Because this is incredible. Powerful things are happening. People's lives are being dramatically changed. Great fear and just awe is taking place Is what's going on around here. Something is up. And you can imagine the commotion and verse 17 picks up on that commotion. Then the high priest and all... His associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Jealousy. Socrates said, Jealousy is the ulcer of the soul. When you're jealous, you are not thinking right. When you are jealous of someone else, you are not satisfied with what God has given you. And jealousy is something that's hard to feed. And it's not satisfied unless you take away what you're jealous of. If I can get rid of that person, that'll get rid of my jealousy. And so that's what we see. The Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy. What what were they jealous of? Were they jealous that, you know, evil spirits were leaving? People were being healed? Were they jealous? They were jealous of the recognition that they were getting. Because they wanted that recognition. And we would be foolish to think that we're not susceptible to that as well. I've gone to pastors' conferences, where all they seem to do is blast other people, and it's kind of like, what's going on here? Well, this church is you know big and it's growing, but they're not doing it the right way. And it's like, okay, you know, and it almost comes across. Well, what are we making this issue? Is this something that's you know foundational? If, are they still following Jesus? Didn't Jesus say, if they're not against me, they're for me? I mean, are they? do they believe in the, the death of Christ on the cross for our sin? Yeah. They, they believe in the fundamentals of Christianity. Yeah. They're just not doing it our way. And it, it just comes across. I think they're jealous. And they don't like the fact that they're getting recognition. They're getting the attention. Why? Because we wanted to be the ones that got the recognition. And this happens over and over again throughout church history. You see this taking place where one group starts being effective and someone above them starts being oppressive. You're being effective. We have the right way. We have the right tradition. You can't bring drums into a church. What are you thinking? That's wrong. And then things go along. You can't do that in church. What are you thinking? This is the way you do it. That's wrong. You can't use that translation of the Bible. What are you thinking? Paul spoke King James English. (laughs) And they have different things, and a lot of times it's just they're jealous that God is doing a work in someone else other than themselves. We're not, we're susceptible to that as well. We need to be careful. Because it's real easy to see someone doing well and just think, Ah, uh, I wish that was me, not them. And you have got to guard our hearts against that. They were jealous. In verse 18 it says, They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. I love that. Tell the people the full message of this. Now, first they get thrown in jail. Because they're jealous of them. They're upset with them. They'd already warned them to stop teaching and preaching in this name, the last chapter. And here they are still doing this, causing this big ruckus. So they throw them in jail and an angel unlocks the door. And, And where does he tell them? He doesn't say, hey, you guys, get out of town. Lay low for a while. He says, go into the temple. Go into the middle of where everyone's going to see you and tell the people the full message of this new life? Why would he send them into harm's way? Why would he do that? A lot of times we associate blessing with comfort. Bills are paid, healthy, the kids are doing good, <coughs> the car's running okay. God's a blessing. Here the angel says, Go there in the middle of the temple. We're going to read that that's going to be a dangerous place. Go to where there's going to be persecution. Why would he say that? we need to recognize that God at times is at work in those difficult situations. Sometimes it's in the tribulation that we are going to be strengthened, going to be guided. Sometimes it's through those times of, of loss that we actually gain. And if we're looking for safety and security and comfort, then our priorities are selfish and they're not God-centered. Because you have to think of this as these people have the cure to the disease that is infecting all of mankind. If you had the cure for cancer but you are going to have to give up your home, your comfort, all the things that you have just clung to, but with you is the cure to cancer. It's going to cost you everything, but by you taking this road, you will provide health for millions. Would you do it? Because they have the cure for mankind's sickness. Of sin and if they're worried about their comfort then they can't take this message to the people who need it and so instead he says go stand in the temple courts tell the people the full message of this new life that's the cure, this new life tell the people the full message who Jesus is what Jesus did. What Jesus has called us to do. What he has done for us. His death. His resurrection. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. And I love this because verse twenty says, at daybreak, might say in the morning or early morning, when the sun came up, where were they? Boom. They didn't say okay it's going to be a long day i'm going to sleep in a little bit you know yeah we'll we'll get to it in the afternoon a little bit later i'll get to it when the sun came up boom they were there the biggest nation in the world is procrastination <laughs> and it affects everything it affects the workforce and it affects the church God asked them to do something, they got up in the morning, they did it. Have you ever hesitated when you felt like the Lord impressed something upon you? Maybe the Lord puts on your heart, you need to call so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, I need to do that. I need to give him a call. A day goes by, and you find out, yeah, you know, so-and-so, yeah, they're in the hospital. What? Yeah, they, you know... Something happened, they got stitches, whatever it is. It's like, ah, you know, that happened when the Lord put it on my heart to call them. Ah, you know, and then you feel like, ah, I blew it. You procrastinate. You just put it off a little bit. And then all of a sudden, that opportunity, it's gone. It's like, oh, man. My wife is very sensitive to those kinds of things. She always feels, I should call so-and-so. But she messes up, too. And it always happens, so-and-so calls her. You know, and it's like, oh, you know, I was supposed to call them first. The Lord put it on my heart first, and they they beat me to it. And we just got to stop that. When God tells us to do something, do it. Daybreak came. The first morning they came, they entered the temple. The angel told them, hey, this is what I want you to do. They got up in the morning. They did it. They entered the courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. I love that. The angel told them to do this. They got up, and they did it. That's how we need to be. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, dun, 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 they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arrival to the jail, <laughs> but on arrival to the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and all the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. They were freaked out because if news of this gets around, problems are only going to increase. If they find out about this, oh my gosh, it's going to get worse. They're going to become more popular. Everyone's going to fall after them more. We're going to be a laughing stock. They're wondering what's going to happen. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen if this gets worried out? Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What do you do? You throw these guys in jail and the jail's still locked. And where are they? They're right where they were before. Teaching the people. And so, I love, they're like, look, there they are. And at this, verse 26, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Uh, So you can see this is a gentle, they're like, hey, you guys, come on, come on. Yeah, they're not going to rough them up yet. They're just going to, okay, you need to come with us. You need to come with us. And the people are probably, ooh, you know, because all this great stuff's happening. And so they come, they brought them in because of fear of the people. They didn't act rough with them. Verse 27, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to question, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teachings. And are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Interesting. How wonderful if people would say we have filled the city with this teaching. What a great testimony to them. They did what they were supposed to do. That's what Jesus said. Go forth. They did. And then they say you have made us guilty with this man's blood. Do you remember what happened when Pontius Pilate was there? And he was going to release them release Jesus, they said, no, his, his blood be on us. We want Barabbas. They weren't putting it on them. They weren't making him guilty. They, they took that guilt before. They're the ones who said, his blood be on us. Give us Barabbas. Put him, we want him crucified. So, yeah, they were guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, Bam, right back at you, in your face. Hey, you did have him crucified, and we are witnesses that he's alive, and we're going through and doing what he says. We must obey God rather than men. Now, that's a powerful principle, but one we need to be careful of, because so many people say, well, God told me to. You know, why did you run that red light? Well, God told me to. You know, why did you, you know... Go have an affair. Well, you know, I felt like God was telling me to be with this person. Well, why did you do that? Well, God told... And all of a sudden, the God told me is the magic word. You know, wave one. God told me to. I'm off, you know, out of jail free. You know, that's not what's happening here. By what power, what authority do you do this? If you're going to do something, you have to have the backing of God. If you're going to have the backing of God, it has to be something that he has substantiated through scripture. You can't just say, God told me. You have to have evidence that this is what God has desired. Romans tells us that the laws of the land are ordained by God, that you're to obey them. So you can't just go breaking laws saying, God told me to, unless the laws are in opposition to what God has declared. If they were to say, as they do in some countries, you can no longer tell people about Jesus. You cannot bring converts to Christianity. (laughs) It is against the law okay, what do I do? Well, I either obey God or I obey men. Well, I have to obey God. I'm not going to listen to your laws because there is a law that is higher than man's laws. But those laws are substantiated through the scripture. They're not just made up. We don't just say, God told me to. No, God has substantiated these things through his scriptures. That's how we know. And so, They said, we've got to obey God. We've got evidence and our power is seen by the person of Jesus Christ. God has exalted him, in verse 31, at the right hand, the prince and savior, that he might give repentance, forgiveness of the sins of Israel. We are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, which was the fulfillment of Joel. Peter declared that in chapter 2. Verse 33, when they had heard this, they were furious, I bet. These guys are besides themselves, and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that these men be put outside for a little while. You guys, we've got to settle down here. okay? And Gamaliel, we know, was Paul's teacher. He was the one who taught Paul. He was known as the beautiful law, they called him because of his knowledge of the law was so in in depth. The man knew the scriptures and he had a lot of respect by the people. There are some letters that they believe were from Gamaliel that spoke about Paul and he had a criticism of Paul that Paul read too much. He could not be satisfied in his reading, the letters say. That was his criticism of Paul because Paul couldn't read enough. Well, Gamaliel stops. He says, get the guys out of here. Let's settle down a little. You know, we need to bring the situation down. And so here he introduces this. Verse 33 or 35, excuse me. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is from human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Powerful words. Now we know a little bit about these two men that are mentioned him, Judas and Judas, the Galilean. They both claimed to be the Messiah. They both had claims that that was who they were. They were there to save Israel. Uh, Judas was more of a political... When the census came, he wanted a political revolt. He didn't want them to pay taxes. Uh, The other man just came to be a religious or spiritual leader. They were killed. There's followers scattered. Done with. There's a couple of things that are poignant about these people and how we can tell false messiahs or false people. And and one is in verse 36. It says of Judas, he appeared claiming to be somebody. Jesus took upon himself the form of no reputation. He did not testify of himself. This guy claimed to be somebody. You know, if someone's claiming to be something, something's wrong with him. And also it says of Judas, it appeared in many days census, he led a band of people. He too was killed and all his followers. He thought he was somebody. Okay? These guys who want to raise people to follow after them. If someone wants you to follow them, someone thinks they're somebody, ah, that's not the right way. Jesus didn't come across and he was somebody. He had the right, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. And so he gives them wise counsel. And in verse 40, his, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. <laughs> he persuaded them, but they wanted to make an exclamation. You know, So he persuaded us, but we're going to beat you still. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And, and verse 41 is just, again, it's so powerful. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. What do you do with guys like this? You get beaten and you think, wow, I was beaten for Jesus' sake. And they rejoice. Powerful. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. In this chapter, we see God wanting to do a genuine work in his people. That he doesn't want hypocrisy. And he leads his people even into harm's way because it is going to further his way. And it ignites them. Because they are a part of something that is lasting. <coughs> they are a part of something that does not fail. They are a part of something that is more real and has more substance than all the things that they see around them. And they're connected to it. And it doesn't matter if we're beaten. We're going to go back to the temple. We're going to go and continually day after day in the temple courts where they were taken and beaten house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What about us? Where do we fit? How, how do we measure up to these guys? Do we still proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ? Or are we worried about what people will think of us? Are we worried about persecution? Are we worried about what our friends will say, our coworkers will say? And so we keep it low. Or have our lives been gripped by who God is and who Jesus is and what He's done for us that I can't help it. We've got to tell everybody. I need to, as as the angel told them, we need to tell the people the full message of this new life. Day after day after day. And if we would have if we would be captured just as they were they turned turn the city upside down with this message we could turn our community upside down with this message too but first the message has to have us it has to grip us so that even if there's persecution it doesn't matter the church always does great in places where they're persecuted China the church is flourishing third world countries where there's persecution in Africa the church is flourishing Islamic countries, the church is flourishing. Why? Because there's something that has hold of them. But we, in our freedom and our comforts, does it have hold of us? Are we more concerned with the things, and now we're not as concerned with telling people the full message of this new life? I pray that we would be captured, just as these men were, that it would own us, and that. If God would tell us to go there, even though there is not comfortable and dangerous, we would say, okay, here we go. Let's go for it and be bold in our testimony for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I love reading these things because they just inspire me to want to do more, to live closer to you, to, to bask in your love and your power. Lord, but I know that that sometimes means that you will ask of me things that will put me in a position of (laughs) discomfort. Lord, may I care more about what you want than my own comfort, even as these men did, even as your son did. Father, may I truly die to myself and live for you. And, And I pray, God, that you would empower all of us to live this kind of life, to do these kinds of things, to represent you in this way. May you be magnified through us as we desire what these, your early followers did. We desire those things, to do those things, to live in that way. Lord, we want just much grace to be upon us as well. May we love as you love. May we give as you gave, Lord. May we live to represent you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.